You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric DeSobe here. Excited to be joined by a 2019 NLC San Antonio fellow. Chris Boken is here. We're going to talk about recycling, waste, other ways to make sure our environment and planet are staying safe. A topic we don't always get to on The Zag, so excited to have him on. Let's get to it. All right, Chris, when people ask what you do for a living, what's your short answer that you usually give to them? Oh, well, my short answer is that I work in the circular economy. I mean, my day job is the solid waste management coordinator for the Alamo Area Council of Governments, which is just a really fancy way of saying I help (laughs) coordinate solid waste and resource recovery across a 13-county area here in South Central Texas. But my real main passion is the recycling and reuse of materials in the circular economy and for the last couple of years, I've been working to recycle mattresses here in San Antonio, founded a nonprofit back in 2017 called Remats. And essentially, we take old mattresses, break them down, sell their materials, and then we create second chance employment opportunities for disenfranchised adults. And one of the fun, exciting things we do recently is we take old memory foam mattresses, come into small pieces, and then sell them as dog beds online. And was there anything about mattresses that stuck out to you as the place you wanted to start? Or what was the main reason to to kind of focus on that aspect of things? Okay, well, the main catalyst was I served through the AmeriCorps VISTA program at the Low Country Food Bank in Charleston, South Carolina. And it was my first real experience to just a massive amount of waste within our economy and system here in America, especially through federal feeding programs. And it's so from that moment forward, it was just always around me. Whenever I look at anything, I would see the waste in our system and constantly ask myself, what can I do to fix this? And when I got back into San Antonio, where I had most of my roots, it was just the bulk collection that week when I got back. And so there's just a ton of mattresses lying in the streets and on the curbside. And I just asked myself, well, I wonder what happens with this waste and figured out that here locally, we don't do anything, but across the nation, there's lots of mattress recyclers that have you know sprouted up and most of them are nonprofits and from there I was just kind of sold on it I don't know why mattresses has always just been one of those things they're big they're bulky they're ugly no one really likes them no one really likes to talk about it I've always been kind of drawn to those problems to fix because no one really wants to get near it but what's fortunate is that what we can see across the nation is lots of good states such as California and some others on the East Coast that are passing a lot more of these extended producer responsibility policies that help push governments uh, to kind of fix this problem by getting manufacturers a little more involved in these products they're producing and the ultimate impact they have on our planet. And then is there a country globally that you feel like does this really well? Is there a model that stands out? I think of you know other issues, say like uh, mobility and transportation and biking. We often kind of look to the Dutch and and maybe other parts of of Europe as the model we'd want to emulate. Is there something similar happening in other parts of the countries that we should look at? Yes. I mean, most of the countries that do it really well are countries that were just limited by space. You know, Japan's a good example. Another good one is uh, Norway. They actually have a really cool recycling program in one of their cities right now where they actually just have all the residents put all their waste into seven different colored bags. And then all those bags go into one container, just like our curbside recycling. And then when it gets to the recycling facility, it's 100% automated or the material recovery facility is what the industry calls them. But here in the U.S., we don't do that. We have a lot of single source separation, especially for recycling. So you put everything in normally like a blue bin or a green bin or whatever it is for your neighborhood. It then goes to facility and they have lots of contamination issues, which is why recycling is so broken in this country. But 
you know, in the example with Norway, by putting everything in a different bag at the source, which we like to call source separation, it basically eliminates all of those downstream problems, which are really crippling our recycling industry right now, with the exception of a, a few products. And I feel like other things I've seen in headlines and papers is, you know, China's decision to take less of the recycled material that we create here in this country has uh, ended up closing a lot of recycling centers in different states. This is definitely true here in California and, and other parts of the country. I'm sure that's true as well. What is your reaction to that? Or is that actually even more of an impetus for your kind of work to expand and take hold? Oh, well, basically the, the root cause of why that happened just goes back to what I was speaking about earlier, where we had this single stream system for a long time and we weren't truly recycling here in the, in the U.S. We were shipping a lot of it overseas. Well, it depends what product it is, but generally speaking, we were shipping a decent amount over to China. I want to say it was 30, 40%. And basically we were just dumping trash on them because here in the U.S. you have about a, a contamination rate of about 20% for these burn facilities, the material recovery facilities where 20% of what they get is contaminated. And therefore, if you're a company and you want to buy one of these products, if you want to buy some recycled glass or you want to buy some of these plastics, if you make an order and then 20% of it's contaminated, are you going to buy more of it again? Probably not. And so China is really just doing something. They're looking out for their best interest. And this is actually good for the U.S. because it's going to force us to finally deal with this issue. And right now, I know at the federal level and at many state levels, they're looking at having some additional funding to increase the recycling infrastructure. But we really need to go back even further up the food chain and eliminate this waste in the designing process and also as consumers, you have a lot of power of what you buy, and everyone just needs to be more conscious of what they're buying. And that's what's going to really drive this change is, yes, it's more expensive to purchase sustainably or in a zero-waste lifestyle, but those choices are going to have a larger rippling effect of the food chain. When we come back with Chris, we'll talk a little bit more about this issue and also how we can persuade consumers to make some of these choices. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. Yeah, Chris, what have you found has been a persuasive message to individual consumers? You know, we see all the uh, kind of straight ahead science that should be applicable to things like wearing a mask gets sucked up into the culture wars. And all of a sudden, it's it's really hard to get anybody to do anything. I could see something similar happening here where someone's taking a, a strangely uh, like pro-freedom stance that I need to be able to put whatever I want into a blue bin and you can't make me sort it or something strange like that. I'm just curious what you think message-wise to kind of win the day and, and have everyone rally to the same cause here. Oh, well, message-wise, I think there's really two big ones. The first one is just, I think it's more and more apparent the environmental damage that's happening because of uh, a lack of proper, uh, not only recycling, but just proper usage of our materials. I mean, we've got this giant plastic island that's twice the size of Texas mm -hmm. in the Pacific. It's kind of hard to miss that. Uh, and same thing with I know that recently we saw these plastic straws and big campaigns pushing back against those. But what it really comes down is to economics. Uh, take for Texas, for example, in 2017, they did a study on the economic impacts of recycling, and they showed that it was a $3.3 billion industry and provided 17,000 jobs. And that was with the recycling rates below 30%. And they estimated if you could increase that by 40% statewide, you'd create another 6,000 jobs. So ultimately what it comes down to is the more recycling materials you do, and also the more reuse of those materials that you do, the more jobs you create, and they tend to be local jobs. So that's really the big selling point is it's it's better for the economy. And then as far as folks wanting to engage with, with companies that are doing this kind of work and nonprofits that are doing this kind of work, where would you suggest people look? 
Uh, well, sort of the leader as far as the circular economy would be concerned would be the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. I mean, they're not a for-profit. They're much more of just the leader in trying to get governments and citizens as engaged and as active as possible and try to really push some of those higher level policies. But as far as companies are concerned, you have a lot of companies right now in the U.S. that are doing a great job. There's companies such as Interface. They design uh, carpets and several other indoor products. You also have TerraCycle, which is taking a lot of waste products and turning them into new products. Uh, you also have uh, Unilever, which has some great uh, circular economy goals. And actually Dell Computers as well is a pretty strong leader as far as taking back a lot of their electronics so they can reuse a lot of those plastics and other materials. So there's a lot of bright spots. It's just something you got to look a little bit harder for. And then, hey, last thing, we're in uh, the time period where folks are considering NLC. The application closes in a couple of weeks. What advice would you give to folks who are considering the program and, and what kind of impact did it have on you? For anyone who's considering the program, I would recommend that they fill that application out immediately. Uh, I cannot explain what an impact NLC had for me personally. I mean, it's, it's it's a great way to just get connected with like-minded individuals in your community. And of course, we have a very strong and amazing national alumni network. I know right now conventions going on and it's been very exciting to see that. And there's, in my opinion, there's really no better way to get engaged if you want to drive some more of these progressive values, especially in your local community. Yeah, well, good advice. And thanks so much for sharing that story. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode. Make sure to catch all past episodes of the Zach, all the places you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, they're all there, over 250 plus episodes or so featuring awesome progressives from the NLC community across the country. Check those out. And until next time, we'll catch you soon.